Well, good morning, Be Free. My name is Ben. I'm the pastor here, and we are a Christ-centered family that glorifies God by loving Him, loving others, and making disciples. That's who we are, that's what we do, and that's how we do it. One of the main things we do when we come together on Sunday mornings is we open the Word of God together, the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead, open them up to the book of Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, that's where we're going to be today. Verses 1 through 11. But this is where we're at so far in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus gives his mission to his people, saying, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then in chapter 2, the Spirit comes. The Spirit fills them and immediately they begin fulfilling the mission that Jesus has given them. They begin bearing witness in Jerusalem. And what we saw at the end of chapter 2 is that this community in Jerusalem, it wasn't just speaking the message of Jesus Christ. It wasn't just bearing witness with their words. It was also a community that was living a life shaped by the message of Jesus Christ. They weren't just telling the gospel. They were living the gospel. They were allowing the gospel to shape them so that they would live with radical generosity, with the same type of love and generosity that they have been given by Jesus. And this love and generosity and the message that they proclaimed, it was shocking the world. And the church was growing day by day as it attracted and compelled their, their world, their community. But also last week as we were going through that passage, we came to one passage that I decided I wanted to punt, right? One thing that I told you last week, oh, we'll, we'll deal with that this week. Well, here we are next week, and it's time to deal with it. It's a question that I'm sure many of you have asked as you've read through the Bible and come to passages and stories where there's miracles. And the question is this, does God still do miracles today? Should we expect God to work miraculously today? Should we pray for God to do miracles today? Should we look for miracles today? In Acts chapter 3 verses 1 through 11, we see a miracle. And it's going to give us a chance, be free, to wrestle with that very question. Is this something that God still does? So let me read this passage for you. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, and then I'll pray. So join me there. Acts 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms, that's donations, of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat by the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico 
called Solomon's. Be free, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the time we have this morning, not just to read it and to study it, but to worship through it. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God who can do things like this, who can give strength to lame men's legs. Father, thank you that you are the God who made us, who guides us, who directs us, who loves us, who sent your son to die for us. And we pray, Father, that as we study this word and as we wrestle with the question it, it brings to our minds, uh, that you would be glorified in what we, what we say, glorified in the, in the conclusions we come to. Father, we want to be people who live in such a way that make you happy because we love you and we know you love us. Shape us today, change us, make us more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's a normal day in Jerusalem. It's three o'clock and Peter and John are making their way up to the temple to pray. And presumably they're not the only ones because this is the time of the evening prayers. Jews from all over Jerusalem uh, were coming all together to the temple. So they were in a heavily trafficked place, the temple gate, at a heavily trafficked time. In other words, they were in the middle of a big crowd. And as they, as this crowd, are making their way up to the temple, there by the gate is a man who's disabled. A man who, who lays there, it seems, quite often. We actually see later in this passage that the people recognize him. They know him. They seems they probably walk past him every day. And he's there intentionally. He's there hoping that all the worshipers coming up to the temple to worship might give him some money, some alms, as it says in this passage. Now, I don't know if you've ever lived anywhere with, uh, with a big homeless population, but this is actually pretty common. When I lived in Chicago, it wasn't all that uncommon to leave church on a Sunday morning and outside have a couple homeless people waiting. You see, they intentionally would place themselves outside the church doors expecting that maybe these worshipers would have a little bit extra piety, maybe a little bit extra compassion and charity uh, after being in a church service. And so this was intentional. But the thing that I learned when I lived in Chicago is that uh, when people ask you for money, it's because it happens so much, you can't give them money every time they ask. In fact, if you were to give money uh, to a homeless person every single time that they asked you for money, you would be out of money pretty quick. It wasn't uncommon to be asked for money every other block. And if you did give money, you couldn't even afford to go on a walk. And so what people who live in cities tend to learn pretty quickly is that if you don't want to give money to a homeless person, when they ask you, you just ignore it. When they ask you for money, you just act like you don't hear it and keep walking. Now, that works, but at the same time, this is something I learned from my homeless friends at the shelter that I told you about last week, but when they're ignored day after day after day, it's dehumanizing. And so the best thing that you can do for a homeless people person in the city isn't actually to give them money, although that's very nice. The best thing you can do for a homeless person is just turn and look at them and speak to them when they speak to you. But when you do speak to them, they expect that you're about to give them something. 
At least that's what I experienced when I lived in downtown Chicago. And it's funny because when you read this story here, that's exactly what happens here. Peter and John, they're passing by this, this disabled beggar. They ask him for money, and what, the, what do they do? They look at him. They give him the dignity of their eyes looking at him, and then they give him the dignity of speaking to him. They speak to him, validating his existence, but then he expects them to give him some money. Now, we don't know if this is what happened, but I can imagine that that homeless man, as he's being spoken to, is thinking to himself, oh, great, I'm about to get some money. And he holds up his hand. Verse 6. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. So this beggar raises his hand, expecting to feel the cold chill of metal pressed into his palm, but he doesn't feel the cold chill of metal. Rather, he feels a human hand slipped into his hand. That's different. That's not usually what happens. And this warm hand slipped into his isn't just holding his hand, it's pulling. And it starts pulling him up to his feet. But then all of a sudden, he's not so bothered or or concerned, rather, with what's actually happening in his hands. He's a little bit more focused on what's happening down at his feet because immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. His lameness, his, his, his disability that has kept him from work his entire life, kept him begging his entire life, is being healed. And things we, we all have things in our life that we think to ourselves, God, if you would just fix that one thing, life would be so much easier. Right? Uh, for me, um, it was growing up with Tourette syndrome. Uh, I know I've shared with you before, that's a part of my story. Um, when I was a kid, I prayed endlessly that God would take it away. And to be honest, he never fully has. It was the source of so much mockery when I was in school, and it was the... The, the, the source of so much embarrassment even when I was an, an, an adult. It still, it still is something that causes pain in my neck because of these involuntary movements, these, these tics uh, that I still have. But that's that thing for me. That's that one thing that I just want to say to God, God, my life would be so much easier, so much better if you would just take this thing away from me. And I know that we all have stuff like that. Maybe it's a health thing for you, or maybe, uh, maybe it's something that you were born with. Maybe it's a relationship in your life that causes just incredible struggle for you day after day. Maybe it's the lack of a relationship in your life. But whatever it is, there are these things in our lives that we just say to God, God, if you would just fix that one thing, my life would be so much easier, so much better. And for this homeless man, it was his disability. It was his legs. But in the name of Jesus Christ, he was healed. In the name of this man, Jesus, who he probably saw walk through the gate right in front of him when he was alive. Jesus, this man who died and who apparently had risen back to life. And in verse 8, And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God, 
And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. This is a miracle. This isn't the result of physical therapy or of rest, ice, compression, and elevation. This is a picture of God breaking into history at a particular time, in a particular place, for a particular reason. To break the laws of nature and fix something that's broken. That's what's happening here. And the thing is, the crowds know it. They know that this isn't just a magic trick, that what's happening here is divine, it's miraculous. And they come together amazed. And this man knows it too. And he worships. Be free. Does this happen today? Does God still work in miraculous ways today? And to be fair, when God reigns sovereignly over his universe, that is miraculous. When he uh, brings somebody from death to life by faith, that is incredibly miraculous. That's a miracle. When God even comforts our heart and encourages us, uh, through the means of grace and, and community and time in His Word. That, too, is, is miraculous. But that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm asking is, does God still break into history to break the laws of nature <laughs> and to fix things that are broken? Taking water into wine, opening the eyes of blind people, does He still make the lame walk? There's two views. Two views that people in the church have historically taken and uh, that still divide people today. Some people say no. Some people say yes. Let me explain those really briefly. I'm, I'm going to boil it down a lot, but this is the two ways of thinking. Some people say no. Some people say that God doesn't do uh, miracles anymore, specifically because miracles had their purpose at their time, and it's not needed anymore. The purpose of miracles back at this time was to establish the foundation of the church. This is actually what we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. That the apostles did these miracles to validate their message as they laid the foundation of the church. But now that the church's foundation is laid, we build upon it. And we don't need miracles anymore. That's that view, boiled down into a very, very small nutshell. Nutshell. The other side of the argument is that miracles do still happen today. That God still does work in miraculous ways because, after all, we go through the New Testament and we see all these stories of miracles and we, we even see teaching in the letters that points to instruction of where miracles belong in the community of faith. And we see no real instruction or passage that indicates that miracles will ever be gone. And so, of course they still exist today. And so that's, that's the other view in a nutshell. Again, very boiled down. But what direction do you naturally lean? As you wrestle with this question, do you tend to think more, no, I don't, they don't, there's no way miracles still happen today. Or do you lean the other way? Do you assume, yeah, it's, it seems likely to me that God still works in miraculous ways, that he still breaks into history to break the laws of nature. Because we have to come to this conversation, this, this question, with humility. After all, there are good biblical reasons to argue for both sides of this debate. There are men and women of God 
faithful men and women of God who take both sides of this argument. In fact, both of these views are held by people in our church tradition. This is something that we can disagree on. Be free. So as we wrestle with this question, I'm not going to tell you what to believe, but I'm going to give you five pieces of guidance. Five pieces of guidance to keep in mind as you wrestle with this question, does God still work in, the, in this way? And the first one is this. Remember what you know about your God. Remember what you know about your God. Your God is alive. He is just as alive today as he was the day that he made this lame man walk. Your God is powerful. He is just as powerful today as he was the day that this lame man started walking again. And our God doesn't answer to anyone. Our God does exactly what he wants. If God wanted to show up to you today in a pillar of cloud and fire, he would do it. If God wanted to speak to you today through the mouth of a dog, he could do that. If God today wanted to heal you miraculously, he could do that. He has the ability to do that. He has done these types of things before. He can do it again. So my first piece of guidance for you, pray boldly for miracles. Pray boldly for miracles. Our God can do whatever he wants. And God has decided in his will to use our, pray our prayers to accomplish his purposes. Our prayers are powerful because God has decided to allow our prayers to move the hand of a mighty God. So pray boldly. And if he will, he will. And so that's the first thing. Pray boldly. Number two, remember that your God is not your vending machine. So pray boldly, but at the same time, number two, remember that your God is not your vending machine. And here's what I mean by that. You can pray boldly. And yes, he can do whatever he wants to do with your prayers. But as we know... He might not do what we want. We can pray boldly, and He will hear us, but He might not do what, he, what we would want Him to do. We can't force God to do our plan. We can't force God to work our will. And it's, it's not because we don't have enough faith. It's not because we haven't prayed with enough fervor. It's not because uh, we, uh, we haven't fasted enough to twist his arm to get him to do our will. The reason that God won't work like a vending machine, the reason that God won't always do our will, is because he already has a perfect plan. And if we pray for something that goes against his plan for whatever reason, he won't do it. And be free, that is good news. Because his plan is a good plan. His plan, be free, it's not just about fixing your issue. And it's not just about fixing my issue. God's plan is about fixing the entire world. God's plan is about recreating everything. The restoration of the world where there will be no more tears, no more sickness, no more death. That's his plan. That's what he's moving towards. And if you are in Christ, I can't promise you that he's going to answer the prayers in the way you want him to in this life. But one day, he will. One day, the deepest desires of your heart 
will come true. Because one day, not just your problems, but all problems, all sickness, all death will be fixed. And be free. That, that's not an empty promise. I want to encourage you to truly find hope in the, in the reality that God will fix what is broken in this world, even if it's not in this lifetime. So have faith in Him and hope in the fact that even if He doesn't fix it now, He will fix it in eternity. So number one, pray boldly. But number two, pray with an open hand. Number one, pray boldly. Number two, pray with an open hand. Pray your kingdom come, but also pray, God, your will be done. So pray boldly for miracles. Number two, pray with an open hand for miracles. And then as you wrestle with the question of miracles, number three, don't let your personal experience alone determine your view. (laughs) Don't let your personal experience with miraculous things alone determine your view. Here's here's what I mean by that. You might be somebody who says, well, I've never seen miracles happen. I've never seen lame men walk. I've never seen blind men's eyes opened. Well, be humble. Be humble and recognize that your story isn't everyone's story. Be humble and recognize that The way that you see God work in your place and in your time is not the way that many Christians, especially Christians who live overseas, would tell their stories. So be humble. But then many of us are on the other, many are on the other side of things where they might say, you know, I've seen loads of healings. I've seen many people healed by prayer. Well, if that's you, be humble also. Be humble and remember that there are many godly men and women who have never seen miracles happen. And it's hard to understand why God would only work in one faith tradition, but not in another. So be humble. Be humble because your story, whether you have seen miracles or not, is not everyone's story. So number one, pray boldly for miracles. Number two, pray with an open hand for miracles. Number three, be humble because your story, whether you've seen miracles or not, is not everyone's story. Number four, don't let bad examples disqualify good arguments. Don't let bad examples disqualify good arguments. And here's what I mean. There are many in the miracles camp that do some really wonky stuff. And when I say wonky stuff, I don't just mean strange things. I actually mean incredibly unbiblical things. There is some incredibly unbiblical teaching that is coming out of the the miracle side of things. People who treat miracles like Christian magic. People who make a profit off of doing these miracles. People who preach the message that if you would just believe a lot, God would give you a lot of money. This, this lie called the prosperity gospel. Even beliefs that if you just believe hard enough, God will give you what you ask for. There's some really messy stuff that's coming out of the miracle side of camp. So number one, if you do believe in miracles, just be careful. Be careful about your source. Be orderly about the way that you expect miracles to happen, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14. 
and be theologically sound. If you do believe in miracles, test the teaching of miracle workers against scripture. And if you don't believe in the miraculous gifts, well, I think you need to be careful too. Don't let the bad examples of how miracles are used keep you from wrestling honestly with what the Bible might actually teach you about miracles. In other words, don't let the bad example of people who believe in miracles, some, some people who believe in miracles, prevent you from wrestling honestly with what the Bible does say about miracles. So number one, pray boldly for miracles. Number two, pray with an open hand for miracles. Number three, be humble. Your story isn't everyone's story. Number four, be careful to test what you hear against scripture. To not take or dismiss teachings around miracles unthinkingly, but to check everything against scripture. Number five, Remember the purpose of miracles. Remember the purpose of miracles. Because the purpose of miracles is not to entertain. The purpose of miracles in the Bible, and today, if they still happen today, is not to amuse. The purpose of miracles is not to make God a vending machine. Rather, the purpose of miracles, and this is important, is to confirm the good news of Jesus Christ and to demonstrate the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus did miracles. That's why the apostles did miracles. And if miracles still happen today, that is their purpose today as well. The purpose of miracles is to be signposts to the message of the truth. The purpose of miracles, in other words, is to bring glory to God. To praise his name, to honor him. So be free. We all have different views about miracles, and that's okay. And I'm not going to be here today pushing you towards one side or the other, to be honest, partially because I'm still wrestling over this myself. But for you and I, as we wrestle over this question, does God still work in miraculous ways? Keep these five little bits of guidance in mind. Number one, pray boldly because he can do whatever he wants. Number two, pray with an open hand because he might not do what we want. Number three, be humble because your story isn't everyone's story. Number four, be careful and test everything against scripture. Number five, Pray for his glory, because that is the ultimate goal of the miracles. Be free, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the evidence that we have in your word, which is without error, for the miracles that you have done in the past. God, thank you that you have worked through miracles to validate your message your gospel. Lord, thank you for establishing the church. And Father, regardless of whether or not miracles still happen today, God, we trust you and your plan. We trust that you are still working all things together for your purposes, whether there are purposes or not. 
But Father, as we wrestle with the way things are in this world, and as we wrestle for you to fix what is broken, Father, help us keep our eyes fixed on the hope that we have in the future. That whether you fix the issues of this world in our life or after, you will win. Your plan will be fulfilled. And in the end, all things that are broken will be fixed by your mighty right hand. So, Father, we find hope in that. We love you and we praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.